Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, my favorite time of the week to be here with you, my listeners, my um, my digital friends, since I'm listening to you across the digital divide, radio, broadcast, and on podcast. And I'm so excited. Yesterday, I got my podcast rankings. And thanks to you, my listeners, please remember to keep rating, reviewing, subscribing to the show. I was notified that in all of the United States for the category of entrepreneurship, which is one of their larger categories, this show, It's All About the Questions, ranked 162 in the entire United States. It is just a joy to know that you're all out there listening and and loving the show. Love to hear your feedback. Reach out to me at laura at laurasteward.com. So I know what you're liking, what you're not liking. I had somebody reach out the other day and said that there was some distortion on the sound, and I do apologize for that. So we are trying to do some other things with me still continuing to broadcast from home, calling into the radio station, and I'm trying some other things. And I think next week I may try to go to the radio station to actually do the show from there. Mr. B thinks he came out up with a way that I can put a headset on without triggering my sound-induced vertigo. So yay, yay, yay. And speaking of... Um, the show. I am excited, excited, excited to bring a guest back on the show who I had on several years ago. She is one of the the leaders in the world on strengths finders and helping your businesses and your teams grow through leading with your strengths. Her website is leadthroughstrengths.com. Lisa Cummings is back on the show today. And we're going to take a little different tack, aren't we, Lisa? We're not just going to talk about strengths, are we? It sounds like it. I am ready to go with any angle that will be helpful to you or your listeners or the world. And I bet we'll end up looping it back to strengths because that's what always happens. And it's so a critical part of, of everything that you do, working to your strengths. But yet exactly. so many people feel that, they can't or they won't or they don't want to acknowledge that a strength is a strength because they just need to take a job even though they know that it's not the right position for them. What do you say to people when they say things like that to you? I say that instead of obsessing over whether one role, one job perfectly aligns with all of your magical strengths profiles, that instead, if you look at them as clues to where your preferences and motivations lie, it's so much easier to do. If you think, how is it that I'm working when I'm at my best, and then you go apply those how things, then you can apply it to any job, even one that you think is mm, depressing in the moment. (laughs) If you go, oh, I'm totally fired up when I'm interacting with people. Okay, great. Focus your attention on leveraging that if you're really analytical and you love making pivot tables and telling stories out of the data, then find a way to integrate that kind of analytical and critical thinking into any role. So I think that helps a lot of people get unstuck from the thing that you were describing. 
I've coached a, a number of people to help them grow their businesses when, when they're struggling. And one of the things that I've always discovered is asking the question, what aspects of your job do you hate the most and why? And one of the things I discovered with the Strength Finders, Strength Finders 2.0 is, I think, the latest incarnation of, of that assessment. Is that correct? It is as the book. It's still StrengthsFinder 2.0, and then the um, assessment has undergone a name change. So it's now called Clifton Strengths. So I use them synonymously, but it, it, you could Google either one and find it. Okay. So one of the things I noticed is that for some people, they really, what they hate really isn't what they hate when you ask them why do they hate that part of it. And I feel like if, Every single person on the planet in business or in life took the assessment that it would help you understand why you react the way you react to situations that come up in business and in life. And you are so good at that. How did you branch into this? I mean, I know you've been, let's see, I, I think you were a cattle rancher at one point in time. <laughs> you, you weld, right? Are you still welding? <laughs> Not too much welding these days because the drums have taken over my life. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that's it. You're in Austin, right? <laughs> yes, drumming and songwriting. They have to get integrated in your life at some point when you live here. So how did you decide that Strengths Finder, you know, leading through strengths is the best way to go? And, and we're going to take this into this other topic that I want to go into about you took your business virtual from traveling all over the world, being on the road more often than your home to, I think, 80% now you're doing yeah. remotely? Yeah. That's amazing. But how did you venture into this path? Because I think it's so important because your story to me is incredible. Oh. Well, Thank you. You know, I think I started like so many other people. I had some skill set that I had developed in corporate or in, in a role. And then I, I, when I went out on my own, I was afraid to delve into a narrow niche because I thought it would be limiting and it would help me not get customers. So the first time I, tr I, d I jumped into entrepreneurship, I thought leadership development as a very generic focus would be smart because the market would be very broad and it was fine it went it went totally fine but it really wasn't lighting me up I liked it it was fine but after I went back to corporate and started r mulling over what do I want this to be what do I really really want how can I still find the overlap in what my skills are and what I might be interested in for the long haul here I am seven years later, still interested in it, I kept coming back to the idea of how it's easy for me to find potential in others, how valuable and overlooked it is to leverage your strengths because we get so obsessed with weaknesses and what's broken in us just because we're humans. That's where we tend to focus. So when I realized, you know, it's not that easy for a lot of people to focus on their strengths, and I could help them see their motivators and their preferences and where they naturally think and feel and act when they're at their default, and then I could help them leverage that. That felt really exciting to me. And then I had that moment where I realized, oh, that's actually a, a pretty narrow niche, and I could do that, and then I could have something to get known for. I could be, you know, the strengths person. 
then it really opened things up. So it was me just going through lists and lists of things of what could I be interested in, what sounds fun, and then trying to find the overlap. Where is there actually a commercially viable thing in that? Like what is what is a skill or an interest that I have that is actually something someone would want to purchase? Because I love playing beach volleyball as well, but I'm short and I can't jump, so no one wants to pay me for that. It's that kind of narrowing, <laughs> and then it ultimately led me to pick strengths. You know, what I love about your story, Lisa, is that you asked yourself so many questions. You didn't just go, I'm just going to do this. You asked yourself a series of questions to help you decide, is this really where I want to go? Does this use the parts of me that get excited about it? And, and you even thought about, can I make my name for in this, and can I make money at it? Some people are just like, well, I'm just going to do this. But you had goals. You were really clear about them. And is there a particular strength when you took your strength finders testing and everything that stood that out? And can somebody do that even if it's not a strength? Sure, because they could just get the outcome a different way. I think for me, the strength, my number one is strategic, and it's really good at seeing the lay of the land in a very zoomed-out way and then being able to see a quick path. The quickest path to get there is kind of like a pattern sorting type of talent. And for me, that was one that really helped. But the beauty of StrengthsFinder or Clifton Strengths as an assessment is that if you look at those top five that you get, like easy buttons to help you make decisions relate to others and get things done, you could use them to get to any outcome. So what's cool for your listeners is if they do the assessment, then instead of saying, oh, shoot, I don't have strategic, great, well, but no wonder I'm not going to be a great entrepreneur. Instead, it's more like here are some ways to get whatever you want. And these, because they live in your natural talents, they're going to feel energizing to you. They're going to feel easy to use. And it's, it's like you can get to your excellence points your way so it doesn't feel like such an uphill battle. I remember back when I had my tech company and I had my entire staff do it. The and this is before you and I had ever met. The the team was like, well, well that explains why I hate doing those things and I'm never going to do them again. And they said, "Okay, well that's not really an option." And and if you look those may be your top strengths, but that doesn't mean you don't have some other things. You may just have to work a little harder on them, or as a team, we're going to support you to help you do those things. You, you can't just not do something because it's not one of your top strengths. Is that correct or not correct? I mean, it sounds like what you totally. were just talking about. Because sure, people yeah. think that, well, that explains why I stink at something, so I'm never going to do it. <laughs> I call them laundry tasks. So sometimes it's the laundry. It's just chores. Uh, the, the things that almost no one on the team wants to do, but somebody's going to have to do them, so you can't use it as an excuse to get out of work. And then the other category is stuff that you stink at, and instead you could use your strengths to help you find a different way of approaching that same thing, something that would allow you to be a little bit more at your best. And there are a lot of other strategies to mitigate your weaknesses or partner up with other people or try to swap tasks with others over time. So sometimes you can offload some of that stuff or even the feeling of drudgery around it if you reframe it with strengths. But yeah, it is a thing to 
not use them as an excuse to be lazy or not use them to shirk responsibility. Yeah, my mom loved doing laundry. I don't know why. And ironing. She Whoa. loved ironing. This is the beauty of strength, too, is I call them one person's trash is another person's treasure, and it is amazing. You'll find it. The other day I had a guy say to a team, oh, I love escalations. And the entire team, 29 other people, whipped their head around and like, really? Why would you love that? And it's amazing what you'll find when you start to get really in touch with not only your trash and treasure type of tasks, but others around you, a lot of times you can swap out because someone loves something. And you're like, really? How could you possibly love ironing? Oh, well, somebody does. My mom said it was like zen for her. She, wow. It was brainless, and she loved the fact that at the end of it, something looks so great. Huh. So cool. And, and nobody would bother her when she was ironing either, so it was like her me time <laughs> when we were yeah. growing up. That's and it's just one of the many point. things I miss about her since she passed away. But it, it's, it, it's fascinating because she found something so positive in something that majority of people find just drudgery. Yeah. That's a thing that's so cool, too, is if you have found that you love a thing that others don't, and you've probably found a way to align it to your strengths or something that you need that you're not getting. And being able to communicate that when you get into a team environment, it's really beautiful because then when others know, that's I call it you know, knowing you're weird, and, and when you find your weird factors and your quirks or your little things that are different, they give you interesting clues about where you can set yourself up to be at your best. Okay, so talking about finding your weird... What is the weirdest thing you found out about yourself over these years of helping other people find their strengths? <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to ask you that, <laughs> so now's my time, live on the air. <laughs> the funniest thing, I'll tell you exactly what popped to my mind instantly, is how the small things that I would have overlooked and not thought were important clues, how in aggregate they are. So, for example, I love to eat canned vegetables right out of the can, not putting them in a bowl. This is weird, but this is what came to mind when you asked the question. I love eating vegetables that way because it's really efficient. It doesn't require me to get out a bowl. It doesn't require me to cook. It doesn't require any cleanup. It's pretty healthy. So I found little clues like that, weird things that I do. Like I eat vegetables out of a can, straight out of the can with a fork. People think that is the weirdest thing when they find that out. But when I look back at many clues of things like that, it shows how much I value efficiency. And when I go back to my themes and I see strategic mixed with maximizer and how, yeah, there's an obsession with efficiency with those two, of course, that makes total sense when you start to put the clues together. So I think a lot of people will dismiss little weird quirks about themselves and think they're nothing or they're not important in the context of lining up your strengths. But if you write down all of them, just watch for the little things where people go, oh, that's so funky about you, or oh, that's so interesting about you, oh, you always do that so well. Log those clues for a month, and you will find trends and patterns in them that bring very big insights. Is there one canned vegetable over another that you like? <laughs> For me, it's Green Giant Niblet's corn out of the can. (laughs) 
see, I'm not as weird. There's another weirdo matching <laughs> right here. I love this. Uh, green giant, green beans, not the low salt kind. And if they have the pop top, even better, because then I don't have to get a can opener out. But I totally dig your corn. It's right up there in my top three. Yeah, that was a thing when I was a little kid. And, and I, I recently bought a can several months back. And I was, like, about to put it in the pot, and I'm like, next thing you know, the fork's in it <laughs> or the spoon, and I'm eating it straight out of the can. So, yay, there's somebody else that does this. <laughs> the factoids. Oh, oh it was too funny. The only reason I had it in my house was because of hurricane supplies. You keep oh, canned vegetables in the house for hurricane supplies. And then you realize. And other things that don't seem weird to you, like, I was talking to an old friend the other day, and he said something about how it's almost like having the sweet and the salty together, where he's like, you're, you're this corporate person, and you have this very professional brand for lead-through strengths, and then you're a drummer, and you have this rock band, and you're singing, and, drum, and there's this whole other thing, and it gives this layer and dimension that I didn't even realize about you. And I'm just like, that's just me, so it doesn't even seem weird to me. But when people find out, they go, Really? Oh, when I saw you in your corporate suit, I never would have imagined that about you because we kind of stereotype and categorize people. When you work with your clients, now in, in the past, prior to this last year or so, the way you worked with your clients, your corporate clients with teams, was you went on site. Was part of the way that you worked with them on site, you asked them to share some weird thing about themselves? <laughs> Sometimes that would come out in a workshop. So our standard back then was a half-day discover your strengths, and there are definitely activities that we do that sometimes those weird things that you love would come out. But often that depth would be two, three, four sessions in when we're getting into the deeper exercises and sharing with the team. Usually if we're doing that first one where we're igniting or helping them kick off strengths, that was the most popular product, and that was a little bit more of the self-awareness layer. So they didn't usually get into the weirdness discovery until a little bit later in the process. Why would you use it sometimes and not another? Just depth. You know, if you have three or four hours with a team, it is not one of the core get-to-know-your-strengths, self-awareness kind of pieces. I mean, it is a valuable piece of a, of a thought process. It's just that you're limited in a few hours for what you can get, so we narrow it down to three core pieces of intellectual property as the way that they think through their talent themes. And so, yeah, in that first pass-through, it just doesn't, just doesn't make it in the conversation as often. Now, one of the things that you've done in the last couple of years is to try to switch, not try, you've succeeded beyond wildest expectations from an outsider looking in, from going from, say, 80% of your time being on the road to 20% of your time, and I may have the percentages wrong. Have you noticed a difference in how, in the effectiveness from face-to-face -face versus virtual face-to-face? -face? Yes, and it depends on how you look at effectiveness. So I will always prefer in-person for an effectiveness, like what can you get out of it and how much can team members learn from each other. It still is 
an awesome vehicle, and it is tough to compete with it. But there's a real demand for virtual because if you imagine what's practical for teams and what actually fits their budget, I'm often now working with teams where they have a team of 12 and 10 of them live in different countries. And if you're going to do a kickoff event for strengths, you're going to pay for an assessment and a facilitator and $3,000 for each person for travel expenses for that event. It's really easy for an event to suddenly cost $30,000 or for a big team it might be a hundred or $200,000 kind of price tag just for one four-hour session. And that seems off to people. So in corporate, it's just become really palatable for them to say, what can we do virtually? And then knowing that we work virtually and we're spread all over the place, can we make that an effective process? So I started off with taking the in-person and taking that four-hour thing and turning it into a 90-minute virtual. Now from there, I've totally gone further and I've created more products to amp up the effectiveness over time. So, yeah, when it started, it was more like, how can I fit their budget and a need that they have and this thing that's happening in the marketplace that nobody else seems to want to do, be on camera to deliver training. And now, this year, I've launched a whole new thing to address the sustainability and the depth that they go into. So was the starting point for the shift in your business that people were they were looking at their budgets and going, we would love to have you, but we just can't afford to have you come in? Or was it a, a personal thing for yourself that you wanted to shift? Yeah, or a combination? Well, it was like, yeah, it was like a combination. So I wanted, I felt myself getting tired of living on airplanes. Now, I wouldn't have to shift that for the business because I have other facilitators who could lead sessions and I could keep going in that way. But what I started to see when customers would request a virtual training, and I would get really excited because I'm like, oh, great. Instead of flying out of Austin for one day, doing an event for a half a day, flying back for another day, it's three days of downtime or work time for that four-hour session. Personally, it became pretty taxing, and, of course, you, you can only scale yourself so much. So I was running out of time and days to be available. So then I start traveling, encroaching on my weekends. So definitely there's an, a personal appeal. I can't practice the drums doing it on a hotel room, trying to get a bounce off of your pillow. And yeah, there's a nice challenge in that, but I'd really <laughs> rather be on my drum kit at home. So a lot of the home desires were coming into it. And, it, and when I would see customers say, no one wants to do these, or people will do them, but they're a bad retrofit of their in-person sessions, or they will do it, but they don't want to be on camera, so it's not that engaging. And I realized, oh, I'm weird. I actually think these are fun and amazing, and I get so jazzed to imagine, oh, my gosh, look, we have people from 30 countries on one thing at one time. And you can actually give, when you ask a question, you can get 100 answers in a chat box. Imagine how much time that would take to get if you were debriefing one-on-one -on -one around the room in a session, that would take up an hour. But in a chat, you can skim through the answers and get a personal insight in seconds. And so there are areas of virtual where it's even more effective than in person. Do you, well, we're getting ready to go back into national news. So before, we have like a minute before national news kicks in. And I, we have a lot to go into deep dive with that virtual part. 
um, taking my listeners out to the news, what is one thing you would suggest they ask themselves during the commercial break to begin thinking about how they're leading their teams in their business? Ask, what do I really want? And where could that align with a customer need? Okay, say that one more time. What do I really want? That's where you spend a lot of time on those questions. And then review it. Review it. I love that. That last part, really critical that we do that. Everybody, we will be right back with more from Lisa Cummings, uh, Leading Through Strengths, and how she took her business virtual. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. If you missed the first half of the show... I don't have to say too bad because you can go listen to it on podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are listened to, um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Pocket Casts, uh, even out on my website at itsallaboutthequestions.com or laurastewart.com. You can catch any of the shows on podcast. And thanks to you, my great listeners, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, yesterday I got notified that we were number 162 in the entire United States for podcasts on entrepreneurship, which is amazing because there are millions of podcasts out there, folks. And to be anywhere in the top couple hundred says something, and I owe it all to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you to my listeners around the world. Um, I do this for you because it is my love, and it's one of my strengths, is to be able to do this kind of work for you. And if you missed the first half, um, you missed the amazing Lisa Cummings, who is still here, because, Lisa, you just rock. And I don't mean that just because you drum. (laughs) (laughs) I sang in a rock band when I was in high school. No way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was quite funny. What was your Um, favorite song to sing? You know your listeners want to (laughs) know. You know, we did the whole Stairway to Heaven, all that kind of stuff, um, and it was just a friend from high school, her brother, was doing the band thing because I sang in the choir, and and then I lost my voice, and I, I couldn't sing anymore in my senior year, and it was kind of funny. We never really did any gigs, but we practiced a lot, and it was fun, you know, to to do something completely outside the comfort zone. Yeah. And well, it that's, sounds like that's exactly where you are again in life. <laughs> very, very much so completely outside my comfort zone. And when I think of you, what I think about is how you help people find their comfort zone and break through it. And how do you help, how do you do that? How do you help somebody break through or break past if there's a change in their life or a, a change in their situation? You know, this is an interesting angle on strengths. It is actually a very cool way to break through into the areas that are uncomfortable for you when you have something that is familiar like your strengths. If you take your natural talents and you're going through anything, let's just take major job change, life change sort of situation. When everything feels new, scary, your life, your head is spinning around, you don't know what to do next, you don't know how to decide how to decide, I mean, everything feels out of control. If you take your top five talent themes and in StrengthsFinder language, if that describes where you naturally would think or feel or act, when you're at your best, but also when you're at your default, 
they tell you something about what your motivations are, where you feel lit up, where you can feel comfortable. So I think that they're really great for giving you comfort in an un- unfamiliar time. And I've used them a lot with teams where somebody will say, oh, I'm in a brand new role. This is a brand new team to me. I don't have any skills in this new area, and I'm super scared about you know, what people are going to think of me because now I don't feel competent like I did in my last role. Well, if you lean on your talents, how you operate in the world, how you influence people, how you relate to people, how you get things done, and you can lean on that familiar part, it can bring you a lot of comfort in the discomfort, and it can give you the courage to actually go try the new stuff that you've been scared to do because there's something that you feel really grounded in. Did you feel uncomfortable when you decided to make the shift to more virtual versus live events? And and if so, what were you asking yourself that helped you move through it? Oh, heck yeah. And And I feel massively uncomfortable currently today because I'm taking the next step in that. So I think it goes through waves and phases, which are waves. (laughs) (laughs) Waves and phases are waves. Anyway, um, yes, so the first time through, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to alienate all of my old customers? They know me as a facilitator, as a speaker, as a trainer, and now all of a sudden I'm going to bill us as a virtual training company. Will all of my old customers who used us for these other things think, oh, well, guess we can't use them again? Um, I was nervous, really nervous. And I remember the day that I put the banner on the, head, on the uh, homepage of the website which is like, we're a virtual training company. Like, we do virtual strength training. I wanted to make it really obvious, but I was super scared to make it really obvious because I thought, well, what if they came here for in-person training, which we still do, which I want them to feel welcome to ask us about, which I would still like that business while we're ramping up. But if I don't put this, they won't know what we want to be known for. And I kept spinning myself into circles about whether it was a good idea to do it. And it was one of the simplest, best things. I just decided to say what we wanted to be viewed for. And what I have come to realize is that people have a reputation for you that they remember for a very long time. A perfect example, just taking it into everyday life. I was visiting my mom and dad in a vacation home last week. They spent a a month at the coast, and we went down to visit them for the weekend. And my mom made this big deal about being so gracious, and she wanted to go buy milk. She was buying some groceries that she thought we would like. And so she's, she's like, I don't, think you drink mil- I don't think you drink regular milk anymore, but I was trying to figure out what kind of milk you would drink. And she went into this whole thing in her head about how to find the right milk because she knew that I would want to drink milk or have cereal. And it, it has literally been like 12, 20 years since I have been in a habit of drinking milk and eating cereals. But the last time that I was in her house often enough to have the everyday foods, um, that's what I was doing. And so that memory of me and how I lived and what I like, it was just still how she saw me. And here I am, 20 years later, even before I stopped drinking milk, I wasn't a cereal eater for many, many years. But even for my mom, that was my reputation. That was my brand. That's how she thought of me. And the same thing happens with your customers. They know you for a thing. And no matter what you do to change, it's not like they live with you and they follow you around in your mind. So they can't know this new thing about you until you put it out there boldly. 
And in your mind, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're going to think I'm a totally different person. They'll, they'll, they'll be running away. Where actually they, it requires it for them to be able to see, oh, there's this other layer. It's not like suddenly they'll think you're terrible at that other thing and they won't ask. They actually do come back. Oh, will you still do this thing? So that was uh, the very first giant step into discomfort was putting it out there, putting it out there boldly in my LinkedIn profile, putting it out there boldly on the website, and also asking my team to assign in-person gigs to other facilitators on our team instead of me as the first line and they're the overflow, putting me as the overflow or the we're double booked sort of situation. That was all very scary and it worked brilliantly. So what were the steps you took after you, um, actually before, you're very strategic. So before that moment that you put up on your website, we're now virtual and informed your customers, what are the steps that you began to take to set your business up so that it could be successful? Oh, yeah, there were so many. Because you have to have the infrastructure to do it, the technology to do it, the processes, the systems. I mean, just one example, if you take the technology alone. How am I going to do these? Am I going to set up a studio? Is my Internet at my office uh, or at my house? And is the studio space at my house good enough? I determined that it was not. I live out in the woods, and I don't have access to great Internet, so I actually rented a space. And so I had to set that space up so that I have a really nice, always-on, easy-to-turn-on kind of studio setup. I had to research all the technologies, Am I going to use Zoom or Adobe Connect or Skype or um, WebEx or whatever? And then when I find the ones that I like the most, what are the features and functionality, but also what's the accessibility to the customer base? And at first, you, you have to make decisions and then live with them for a minute and see where they mess up. So, for example, I picked Webinar Ninja because I really like the user experience. And then I realized that the way that it used this awesome technology, this RTC, it, it basically is like a real-time. It has no latency. It's a really great video stream. It has a really nice chat. But unfortunately, a lot of my corporate clients were blocking it because it required you to interact with your browser and accept certain settings in the browser. And users either got blocked by their IT department or by their knowledge of technology and how to let their browser accept certain audio and video settings. So I, I moved away from that as my main one, eventually landed on Zoom. But just that whole process, figuring out how do we communicate with them? How do we get them the links? How, do, how are all of those things going to work? Well, you have to dive in, make a decision, test it out. That means you have to start pitching it to customers a little bit before you're ready. So maybe t I took a trusted customer and said, okay, I know you have people spread all over a country here. What if we take an extra event and try it virtually. So I started testing it out where it was a small thing. And then once you get the systems and structures really ironed out, I had to make troubleshooting pages on the website. I hired a producer to come online with me to handle the tech stuff while I could be the facilitator and not get off my game with tech questions because it could really set the tone for a bad event. So there were a million moving pieces that happened as I jumped in and set up the infrastructure, but a lot of it came with dip the toe in, start to do the experiments, get to the point where you're close but still uncomfortable, and then start offering it out, and someone's going to take you up on it, and then you're going to hurry yourself into that, uh, how do I give them a great experience, even though this is my first one, my second one, my third one. 
And then you fast forward and you take a bunch of tiny steps and a year or two later, boom, you have it, you have it down. And none of that would make you feel flat. <laughs> like you're totally unflappable. That's, that's a lot of stuff to think about, but all, all <laughs> critical stuff. And when you did to start with somebody, this is a question I know my, my listeners want to know if you're willing to share the answer to this. Did you charge differently for live versus, obviously travel and all that other stuff, but in terms of the, the nitty-gritty, was there a, a revenue change for the different models? Yeah, for sure. So I would say a quick calculation in my mind is that a virtual event costs about 65, 70% of a, of a full in-person half-day event. So that's my rough math in my head. And so it does make it appealing to some people who are lacking the full budget to do an in-person event. But what it also brought to light for me is some of the limiting thinking that you have that you don't know about. So, for example, an in-person event what they pay me and what my revenue is does not reflect their cost of an event. Their cost of a virtual event is get people to hyperlink and they show up. Their cost for an in-person event is they rent a venue space. They fly people in from all over. They have very big costs related to that that um, I didn't think of before. And even if you do opportunity costs, let's say they all work in the same office and they're just pulling people out of work for a half a day, the opportunity cost is greater to have the whole team gone from work for a bigger chunk of time. So I started to understand more what the cost to their business is versus the revenue to my business and what their important metrics are. So as I got more into the virtual world, I realized there are a lot of big companies whose number one metric is cost per learner per hour. And that totally changes things because it makes them love virtual because I could bring on 500 people at one time and suddenly their cost per learner hour can be in the single digits or somewhere around $10 instead of thousands. So it's interesting because I thought it was going to be a struggle in certain ways, and then I realized, oh, this is magic for them. They love this. They want it. They're dying for it, and they just can't find as many vendors who love to do this thing. What's so cool about that is doing the shift helped you understand where the value, what was valued by your clients. You never probably before that thought about the cost per hour for training of somebody exactly. the same way as you do now because now you understand that this was a huge value for some of these corporations that you went into. Yeah, and it takes your mind in a different way. So it's funny because I used to run learning and development functions, so I used to think of those metrics. I had just forgotten about them because it had been a long time. So one, that's silly. I had just forgotten about something that would have been so valuable to my business. But then also... Um, if you think about a different angle on the thing, so for example, Strength Finder, when it's a half a day kickoff of Strength Finder, that's a little bit more like a team building event, a retreat, one of those offsite moments for a team. Whereas when I'm doing virtual stuff, especially now with my new product, Stronger Teams, this is implementing it over time. We're, we're trying to help them have 
meaningful conversations over time with their team, now instead of thinking you as a one-time team building, come in once in a while sort of thing, this is more like you're integrated and embedded in what they're talking about and what they're doing all the time, every week. And so it also creates a different level of relationship that that goes back to your effectiveness question where I could have stopped myself thinking, oh, it's virtual, it's not going to be as effective. Suddenly, here I am, suddenly, two years later, I'm doing the Stronger Teams program where we're meeting over and over and over and over, and I'm able to have depth that I was never able to have when I came in to be a spark and get them going. So you actually have more time with people now with the virtual programs? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. When you right. when you started doing <laughs> it and people, because when you started doing this, the online stuff was not as prevalent as it's starting to become with people. Did you find that it was difficult to get people to share as much, or was it easier because now they could type something in a chat that maybe nobody else saw? Did that question make sense? It does. So sometimes I would say that this answer depends on who is showing up. So when I'm in my really big workshops that we do virtually now, and at the biggest we'll have 500 people on, and let's just imagine them being in a corporate university, so pick a company, Walmart, I don't know if they really have this, so I'll call it Walmart University where they have professional development and any employee can sign up because they want to do a little more professional development training and they sign up for StrengthsFinder. So this is a scenario that I work with often where they don't know each other. So some people are more open when they don't know each other <laughs> because it's not like their team is going to be assessing what they're saying. So in that setup, I usually get, one, you have the volume of people that is high, so they're very open because when they see, oh, look, 40 people already typed an answer, and they were very open, so now I'm going to be open. So it creates a volume situation where people are more open with each other. That's pretty cool. I didn't think I would like very big sessions. I thought I would like the small, intimate ones, but I've come to have 150 people as my favorite number for virtual for the what goes on in chat. And I actually make chat public, and it's an integral part of what we're doing so that they can get the most out of the session because they see each other's answers. So in that way, they'll share more. The other thing that I had to learn was how to do techniques. So yes, there are a lot of situations where people are a little bit hesitant to share. So what I do is I give them easy one-answer questions, and it changes the way that you think about questions. I had to rethink the way I ask questions. This is getting, it's really getting into your show topic, too. Instead of my go-to that used to be asking these deep, open-ended questions, I had to learn a technique of getting them warmed up by writing in one word, because both it's safe and if you're a slow typist or you're not really sure or I'm moving on talking and are they going to answer. So I'll ask, write one word that describes X, and then they write it in. And then you see the chat come alive and all these people writing and starting to get some insight, and then I'll build on that question. And then I'll 
ask them something that takes a phrase or a one sentence to answer, and then they get it on. And then I can go deeper and say, all right, now if you have an, a specific example to share, use the raise hand function or let me know in the chat and I'll unmute you, and then you can describe the example to people in the room, and then they can go deeper. So it comes in layers. That's what I've found to be really effective in this virtual medium, but I had to figure it out over time. That If I start with these really deep questions, you just get crickets and it looks no good. How do you respond to people that do the virtual and maybe they complain about it? I don't think that we've had that happen. I oh, that's had, awesome. <laughs> when we were starting, I've had people complain about, I can't get logged in, it keeps blocking me, but those are their own network issues. So right, that's I tech can't. stuff. Yeah, and I can't do a lot about it other than um, work with their company to figure out why are things getting blocked and how can we work around it for the future. Well, I'd um, say that's probably because you set it up so well to set their expectations of what to expect and how the relationship will work. And that's something that I... I hear a lot from my listeners is they get they don't understand why they're getting complaints or why things aren't working out and invariably it seems to boil down to they weren't very clear about what their client was going to get from the experience and it sounds like you're well knowing you I know this you're very clear about what the expectations are and what the outcomes are expected to be would that be an accurate statement I think so yeah and then the other side is, you know, sometimes you will fo focus on things like, oh, what are they going to complain about? And you get in your own head about not wanting to make these shifts because you think of all the things that they're not going to like about it or what you wouldn't like about it. Right. And then you get these comments that rock your world in a positive way. Like I remember the first time I had this team where there were about 10 people from Malaysia on, and they, they were – they hung out after the session. I had this Q&A, and they said, I don't have a question. I just have a comment, and that is that we have felt like we're forgotten on an island out here. We felt disconnected from the company, and this is the first time I really felt cared about and a part of something. And it was from doing a 90-minute virtual training. It's because their company showed they cared by offering them this thing because they were never going to have the budget to travel in for training, so they always felt isolated, and they were not part of these other opportunities that people in the company had. So I started to hear that flavor more and more from different companies, from the far-flung countries where maybe a very small population um, worked, and people feel so honored that... Here I am. I'm working at midnight 30 my time so that I can be at a very convenient time for them so they feel really appreciated and we're not now expecting them to stay up all night like they normally are on conference calls. And somebody spent time to allow them development. They feel so special. And so instead of getting in our heads about, oh, what are they not going to like about it, it's amazing if you even open up and say, how could it be amazing for them? How could you offer an opportunity to the customer or their team that they never had in the past. And it actually makes them a more loyal, excited team member. I love that. And since we're almost out of time, I want to make sure that people can reach out to you, they can find out more about you, and how they can find out more about discovering their strengths. So what's the best way, Lisa? 
I'd say either just head to the website, leadthroughstrengths.com. If you're listening on the podcast, I do have a podcast by the same name. So if you're a listener, check that out. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. If you look up Lisa Cummings on LinkedIn, I think I actually have the URL where you do LinkedIn slash in slash Lisa Cummings, even though there are about 100 people who share my name. I've got the URL there. Yeah, you got it first. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so everybody, if you want to follow up some more with Lisa Cummings, the amazing Lisa Cummings, I just love and adore you, so thank you for coming back on the show. Um, They should go to leadthroughstrengths.com, and I know you have so many free resources out there, too, that are just really great for people. And um, the idea of taking a business virtual, I think you really shared so many great ideas for the, the questions we need to ask and what we need to think of. So thank you, Lisa, as always. You are welcome, and thank you for always asking such interesting questions. <laughs> well, thank you, and, and one of these days I hope to get to Austin and hear you drum if my sound-induced vertical ever goes away and uh, hear more <laughs> about all the stray dogs that seem to find you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, everybody. Get, you were going to say something? Lisa, you got a oh, couple seconds. Say, we'll find something more high-frequency to enjoy together. All right, that sounds like a plan to me. You know, one of the things, everybody, that I love about my guests is they make me think. They make me learn new questions. So if you learned a new question to ask yourself or you, Lisa, shifted your perception in some way, reach out to me on any of the social media platforms at the Laura Steward. Um, is on Twitter. Love to hear from you. And remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Hug someone you love and smile. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. Oh,